One. Two. Three. Well, was I supposed to do three with you? You were absolutely supposed to say three. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Three Song Stories, home of the song story and the place where musical memories are converted into fun and heartfelt conversations. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guests this week are Rebecca Shaw and Ben Cronengold. Rebecca and Ben are both comedy writers just coming off a two-year stint on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, where they were the youngest writers in late-night television. Their new book called Naked in the Rideshare is a collection of stories about the different stages of life, from childhood to college to adulthood. One of the blurbs on the jacket comes from Will Ferrell, who describes it as incredibly original, bizarre, and funny. It's a lot coming from Will Ferrell. The comedic duo got their start after their Yale graduation speech went viral. That's how they got Jimmy Fallon's attention. Their first live-action feature, a Michael B. Jordan action comedy, is in the works at Amazon, following their debut feature script for DreamWorks Animation. Rebecca and Ben were highlighted on last year's Variety's Young Hollywood Power List, as well as profiled in The New Yorker. They both joined us from separate rooms in the same home that they share in New York City. Good morning, Rebecca and Ben. How are you all? So well, Mike. Thank you for having us. Oh, we're so happy to be here. Are you guys in New York? We're in New York. We're, uh, we live in the village. We're in the same apartment and separate rooms. So if you hear any echo, let us know. Okay, no, sounds great so far. Uh, so what do you each remember about the moment you met? And if you don't mind, I'd like for like whoever goes first for the other one not to listen for about a minute. Mm. And then that way we can have the other one do it and we'll see how it co- coincides. All right, I'll uh, turn my volume off, Rebecca. You could go ahead and just shoot me a text or a uh, a little DM thing when you're done. Perfect. This reminds me of an improv game. Like (laughs) we've been given a prompt and someone has to go out of the room so that we can (laughs) do a scene without them. Yeah, when Um, we did this in college, we used to say, bye, Ben. So if you guys could hit me with that. Bye, Ben. Bye, Ben. Um, okay, I'll jump in. So Ben and I met um, freshman year of college, or actually specifically, we met before freshman year of college at an accepted students meetup um, in Washington Square Park, um, something that I'm sure we will end up alluding to later. But um, we had actually both missed the official one. And both of our moms really put pressure on us to go to the like backup slacker kids one, just because I think they were both terrified we wouldn't make real friends otherwise. <laughs> um, but But uh, I got there a little bit late, as I am wont to do, and had gotten there and and seen a group of kids all clustered around, really anxious. And um, I'd wandered over and... um, Right off the bat, Ben made a joke. Uh, he there was a woman passing with something like you know three hundred pigeons all over her body, uh, and I was looking at her. And Ben sort of sidles up to me and goes, "Do you think she knows?" And I just burst out laughing. And you know, everyone else <laughs> in the vicinity, I think, was laughing not quite like they. I don't know if they quite got it, uh, but he was just really, really making me giggle. And right off the bat, I was like, OK, so I've made I've made one friend in college. Um, so we ended up becoming friends and uh, stayed in touch for the next few months and really coordinated, you know, going up to school together. And um, by the time we got up to school, we'd built the basis of this really wonderful friendship um, such that when we started dating all of like a week and a half later, uh, it just felt really, really natural and really exciting. So we have a totally embarrassing anniversary right now. It's something like August 25th, just like right at the beginning of the school year. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just made me laugh so hard that day. And I, you know, spent the rest of the day trying to make him laugh back and now we've spent the last, you know, nine years trying to make each other and then other people laugh. All right. Uh, message Ben, and we'll, you can listen to his take, but we'll get his okay, take Okay, I will. Okay, I'm back. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. How did I fare? Was it as romantic as I'm about to describe it? I don't know. Let's it was see. pretty dark, I thought. So let's, <laughs> let's get your version. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, sort of cold hard facts. Rebecca and I met. Uh, we say we met in college, but in fact, we met at an accepted <laughs> students meetup. Um in uh at washington square park right here in new york only a few blocks from our current apartment um we were nervous 17 year old college or rather high school seniors 
we showed up. I got there first. Rebecca joined this sort of semicircle of anxious students who were pretending to be a lot more sophisticated than they were. And the only really sophisticated person was Rebecca, which I'm sure she omitted for modesty's sake. But um, she immediately struck me as this deeply poised and kind individual. If we were all video chatting right now, you would see the most emotive face you can imagine. And so that sort of (laughs) popped out right away. And then we looked across the way and there was a woman who had something like 10, 12 pigeons on her arms. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but I did say 300. (laughs) I knew knew in my head that I was going to make you look bad about the number, that I was going to make you look like you exaggerated too much. Yeah, let's call it 250 (laughs) pigeons on her arms. Um, We all sort of, someone uh, pointed it out and we were all sort of um, examining and I sort of deadpanned um, a joke like, do you think she knows? And I'm sure as Rebecca described it to you, everyone laughed. Every person there thought I was really funny. Every girl came up to me and was like, are you single? Um, No, I'm of course (laughs) kidding. Rebecca was the only one who laughed. No one else got it. And I'm not sure I even do to this day, but it seemed to tickle Rebecca. We spent the entire rest of the day almost on our first date among a group of like 12 people. And we started dating first week of college but we spent that summer sort of hanging out um does that sort of match up with rebecca's account it was pretty darn close except for the pin, uh, the pigeon count the pigeon number i knew it would happen <laughs> i knew. I know i round up for dramatic effect <laughs> uh ben do you think on some level you made that joke because you wanted her to hear it absolutely yeah i think i did i i also describe it as like i think when you meet your person when you're so young it's probably it might be because they are different from anyone else that you have like encountered. And Rebecca was very different. She was sort of an uptown girl to my (laughs) backstreet guy, as it were. Um, (laughs) And so we joke that like, it wasn't quite love at first sight because I almost didn't clock Rebecca as a, I don't know, anyone that would ever be interested in me. She was just, she oozed sophistication and was like sort of already a woman when we were all just boys and girls. So I think on some level, I definitely wanted to impress her. And then maybe in the next few times, it turned, my my feelings turned uh, quickly into romance. That is being incredibly kind about this. I think I was just wearing a peacoat. Yeah, but it was a cool peacoat. (laughs) <laughs> no, it was more than the peak. The power of the peacoat. <laughs> um, okay, well, are you guys ready to get on the actual three song stories train? We oh, can't yeah. wait. Should we play that first song? Uh, not quite yet. I have a couple questions that we will prelude okay, with. Sure. So, Ben, uh, where did you grow up and how would you describe the musical background of your childhood? Oh, okay. Cool question. So I grew up on Long Island uh, in a small town called Jericho, about 40 minutes out of the city. Music was a big part of my upbringing. My dad is an enormous Springsteen fan. I think he's been to something like 200 shows or um, 300, if you ask Rebecca. And uh, (laughs) we Springsteen was a huge part of our growing up because it's Long Island. Billy Joel was a big part of our growing up already had a Billy Joel illusion earlier for those mild or diehard fans listening um, and Counting Crows and Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon. So classic rock in that sort of sense. And I guess that sort of like New York strain of classic rock really permeated my upbringing. And then I found my sort of like first individual um, love of music outside of my parents in the sort of like alt or indie rock scene. So um, you can call it uh, the sort of like mid-2000s craze. I would say post-Blink-182, we're a little too young for to remember all the small things, but um, the, the scene of all-time low, made a parade. Some people call it emo, some people call it punk. I call it my family. No, I'm just kidding. But it was a community <laughs> of people, of young kids who were angsty and actually had all the privilege in the world. And we would go to concerts and and crowd surf. So uh, music was always a love of mine. And I since I've graduated, though, look back very fondly on that sort of uh, alt phase and kind of into what my parents uh, were into but we have pretty eclectic taste I, I would kick it to you rebecca to sort of fill out the other sphere but we we love rap and we've gotten to work with a lot of um 
rappers in the, in the comedy world, which has been a blessing. Uh, but yeah, that sort of about sums up my musical upbringing. Okay, and we'll get Rebecca in here. This is the Ben show for now. So. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, don't worry. Um, uh, last question before your first song. Mm-hmm. Musical instruments, were, you, were they being played around you? Have you ever been a musician on any level yourself? That's a great question. So I um, never played a musical instrument growing up. I always really envied kids that did. I wasn't like the most dexterous kid, which I know is weird. And you probably don't hear a lot of people saying about why they weren't <laughs> able to pick up music. But I just I, I I wasn't great with my with my hands, I think, on a certain level. And then by junior or senior year, I was like, I uh, I'm going to learn something. I learned how to play the ukulele, which is about the simplest instrument you can imagine. But I could still play it to this day and whip it out um, when drunk or uh, even sober, some would say. Um, And the uh, only other thing I was going to say is we I did a lot of songwriting growing up and specifically parody songwriting. So Hmm. I adored Bo Burnham. My family was sort of had like a big comedy streak in it so when it came to you know hanging out with friends or having a a fun family gathering I was always writing sort of uh yeah just sort of like comedy song parodies to other songs to existing songs and that became a real staple of our professional comedy writing career so insofar as that is a, a musical talent um that was a big part of my growing up i would call that a musical talent so oh thank you um thank okay you. well let's do this first song then are we going to just go ahead and play it let's do let's it do it okay well let's go ahead and play it this is ben cronin gold's song on this two for episode of three song stories he's here today with his comedy writing partner and partner in life rebecca shaw this is work this body by walk the moon from the 2014 album talking is hard Oh, man. You know, it's so funny listening back to that song, I should start out saying, because something about it sounds so um, kid-like, for lack of a better word. Sounds like it might be the the song that your, you know, five-year-old's niece and nephew love dancing to around the house. But that is actually part of the story, not because it's from when I was a kid, but because it had a really important role in my sort of creative start. And my start in uh, script writing, movie writing, specifically um, when I realized that I wanted to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is write for TV and write for films. I was a sophomore in college and I never grew up watching or I should say really fanboying over the world of Pixar movies and Disney movies, that sort of animated world. But when I was in school and I started taking some screenwriting classes, I started almost studying them. There's something interesting about how formulaic those movies are, but not in a bad way. A better word might be just structured, Um, but how they manage to be these movies that are for all audiences and for uh, and genuinely funny for all audiences. Um, There's great character work. There's great emotional work. So that was my first a foray into writing a movie was to try to write a movie in the animated world in the disney world pixar world and this song became the let's call it um title song the credit song of the first movie that i that i wrote that went on to have a little bit of a life in the real world that we could get into but um the reason why i chose the song is not because it was formative for me as a kid necessarily but it was because it was formative for me as a writer and the idea of soundtracking uh the movies that we write has been a really formative part of our process insofar as music can help shape story and inform what we want our um what we want our characters to be feeling and doing uh, on screen. Can you explain, was this song around you? Were you channeling it while you were writing? Did it come along later? Was it at the end of the song on purpose because it was there from the beginning? Just tie all that together. Yeah, it was a song that was probably somewhere deep on my, uh, on my, what was it at the time, on my iTunes. (laughs) And sometimes we've noticed that songs that we sort of have known for a long time or have heard recently but don't um haven't stuck with us they'll pop into our heads or maybe we're just it comes up on shuffle at the right time at the right place when we're thinking about movies and ideating and 
something about the rhythms of the song, something about the energy of the song really clicks into place. So for this, it was early in the ideating process of our first script, which was a fun movie about uh, Greek mythology. It was sort of like set in the world of Greek gods, and it sort of followed uh, the first, this was sort of imagined first Olympic Games. Um, and that song is all about, you know, it's almost like a, a fun take on a workout song and it fit perfectly. And it also really mirrored in this meta way, my journey writing a movie, which is, you know, almost a marathon in and of itself and, and a real exercise. Um, so that is sort of how it came to be was listening to the song is probably to this day, the number one listened, uh, repeated song on my iTunes, just because of how formative it was to brainstorm to to write to so yeah sort of all of the above mike what was the name of the, or what is the name of the movie it was called mount minor mount minor because it followed specifically the minor gods of greek mythology ah. so instead of following zeus and you know Ares, the god of war we were following like you know the god of drizzle and the uh the god of paranoia so it was sort of an, an underdog story and this song definitely has a little bit of that underdog uh um theme to it as well and yeah it almost feels like a, a kid-friendly mm -hmm. training montage you know <laughs> absolutely yeah i could see I that felt, for sure yeah yeah and i felt like my uh our writing experience was a bit of a kid-friendly training montage itself so it sort of lined up nicely <laughs> i was you said workout song i was literally imagining like people working out to that song so that's what it was it was the it was the sort of big tr uh opening training um montage at the start of act two and it ended up be kicking off this pattern wherein we now yeah we we write to music constantly we build soundtracks and playlists for all of our uh projects and there's nothing like when you're stuck um you know and having writer's block or unsure how a scene's going to unfold finding the perfect song to help sort of uh, excavate the emotions and the rhythms of how the scene's going to unfold. So at the beginning of Act Two, there are minor Greek gods that are working out. Is that kind They're of working out? <laughs> they, they sort of get called up to <laughs> a spot opens on Mount Olympus, and oh. uh, to compete for that spot and sort of prove your worth, they take place in what sort of is is becoming clear is the first Olympic Games. And so this was yeah, this was the big song that was sort of all about trying to. Uh, meet your potential and better your life and find your worth, um, which is sort of, again, runs parallel to, to what it means to try to find your passion, which is what we were doing uh, at the moment as college sophomores. Huh. Well, uh, Rebecca, it's time for your, uh, you get to get on the train now and, and Ben can stand <laughs> stand back for a little bit. Um, how, do. how would you describe the musical background of your child, uh, Rebecca, and where was that? Well, I grew up on the Upper West Side, um, not too, too far from Long Island at all. Um, and more so we realized as we started dating because we found out that our moms actually grew up together in the same town in Queens. Hmm. Um, we are so lucky we're not related, honestly. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, Ben and I um, are parents grew up knowing each other. Uh, my grandfather was a high school principal and he used to teach SAT classes on the weekend and Ben's mom would come over to their house and study every day. And she was in the same grade as my uncle. My mom was in the same grade as his uncle, um, which is all just to say that uh, if, if you sense some overlap in the musical stylings and in the list, it's because uh, as Ben and I have pieced together over the nine years we've been dating and working together, there are a lot of things that we thought were universal things that turn out to just be Queens things. Hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, Bayside slash Hollis Hills Queens in that era. Um, so I also grew up listening to, you know, a lot of Simon and Garfunkel. Um, my dad was, you know, a hippie in L.A. So we had a decent amount of, you know, Frank Zappa. And um, I distinctly remember getting in trouble in preschool because they called my parents and they said, Rebecca singing cocaine by Bob Dylan over and over again. And <laughs> we don't think she knows what it means, but <laughs> please make her stop. <laughs> and then my mom also, I mean, she loved the roaches. We listened to a lot of roaches growing up. Um 
Carly Simon. Uh, and then the really key thing for me uh, was when I was probably in elementary school, I got really, really into Broadway. Um, it was something that had always sort of been a part of my family. My grandma um, in her retirement had gotten very into performing with Temple Israel's uh you know, productions. And she was in Oklahoma and The Music Man and Guys and Dolls. And I used to just go and sit front row and watch Starry Eyed. So in a funny way, I think that was one of the first times that I felt so sort of distinctly pulled by music in a way that wasn't this is being played around the house because this is what mom and dad like. I, you know, used to memorize the songs with her when she was learning, you know, her parts and um, could sing them all back you know, wrote without any prompting by the time the show came around. Um, so that was really when I, that was the first distinct moment when I remember having my own ownership over music. And, you know, I am not a performer. I couldn't, you know, <laughs> I basically, I couldn't get in the cast of any of our middle or high school musicals, but um, that has really stuck with me. And what I've realized since is just I was falling in love with storytelling and, you know, falling in love with big storytelling, storytelling that, you know, is unashamed of big emotions and big swings and humor and, you know, interlacing music all throughout that. Um, so that was sort of my first introduction into music. And then, of course, in high school, you start to pick your own favorite bands and you start to try to go to concerts or sneak out and have a beer at them. Um, I loved Florence and the Machine. I loved Childish Gambino. I think similar to uh, Ben talking about um, Bo Burnham, you know, the first time that you're able to say, oh, this is funny. Like, this is really smart and interesting and surprises me. Um, that was something I definitely found from him. But, you know, I found childish Gambino because I loved Donald Glover in Community. Um, so hmm. I think that sort of intersection of music and comedy is something that we will be talking about a bit later and something that we have been so lucky to be able to bring into our professional careers. But, um, you know, realizing that and even going back to the roaches early on, realizing that you could exist in this comedy and music space was just so eye-opening it just felt so fun and so interesting hmm. you know i uh, i'm 51 so i wasn't really or at the beginning especially bo burnham's target audience but i came across mm -hmm. bo burnham and was just like are you kidding me I, totally. I i just watched his things over and over and over again and my daughter at the time would have been like seven and so by the time she got to be like 15 or 16 she's like dad have you heard of bo burnham i'm like hey <laughs> Yeah, yep. <laughs> and she was shocked because like none of her friends, they all discovered him and they love him, and none of their friends' parents, like you know, nobody knew Bo Burnham that was my age. But man, he's a genius. So anyway, old dad over there, and he is an absolute genius. You know, it's the perfect word for it. Um, uh, last question before your song, Rebecca. What about instruments? Were they around you, and did you play any and or perform music? Um, I was signed up for piano lessons, um, as, as many children are. Um, I always loved the idea of getting good at it. And in practice, I just could not bring myself to practice. I know. I know. So weird. Um, but I was the one child who had to be begged to practice the piano. Um, but no, I, I, it wasn't, it didn't end up sticking, but I really found myself singing along. I, I loved learning the words and, um, that sort of parlayed itself into more of a, you know, I was always in the chorus in school. I loved that. Um, and for a few years there, I was in this, uh, program in New York city called the young people's chorus of New York, which was sort of this, uh, like collection of kids from all over the city who, really committed pretty intensely to, you know, practicing and training and getting really, really good at singing. And they they had a couple of really cool uh, concerts here and there. They would often get tapped to, you know, do the Christmas tree lighting in Rockefeller Center, um, you know, sort of like various, we once sang with Bob McGrath from Sesame Street, um, Bob, which was very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, he's <laughs> the biggest celebrity you can basically encounter as a middle schooler. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was trying to find my way into music is what I would say. And it wasn't coming from the performance space, but 
I just loved the showmanship of it all. I loved the performance. I loved the rush of adrenaline and feeling like someone had made a series of really cool creative decisions, be that, you know, lighting or costumes or just general ambiance of a performance to really bring it to life. And I think, you know, you don't get that many opportunities as a kid, obviously, to call those creative shots yourself. And once I realized that that was that thing I was chasing, chasing it really brought into perspective what I wanted to do with my life. Cool. Um, Okay, well, we're going to play your song. Are we just going to go right to it as well? Let's do it. Okay, this is uh, Literal Uptown Girl. I now know Rebecca Shaw's song (laughs) on this two-for-episode of Three Song Stories. She's here today (laughs) with her comedy writing partner, Ben Cronin-Gold. This is Carolina On My Mind by James Taylor from his self-titled album released in 1968. First of all, it's just so funny hearing that back. I haven't heard it in a bit. Um, But the reason we picked this song, or I picked it specifically, uh, is kind of as an on-rope to talk about, you know, that very distinct and lucky pivot that we got to do when we started to work for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Um, We got hired soon after graduation it was an incredibly lucky and somewhat fluky thing where uh then i gave this graduation speech um at the end of our time in college uh it was a comedic speech and it we put it online you know largely to send to our grandparents and friends who couldn't be there uh and it ended up going viral um which was really really exciting uh and a little intimidating but uh we ended up getting hired off of that speech to write for The Tonight Show. Jimmy saw it and he offered us a position as uh, sketch writers. Um, And, you know, quickly on the show, and I'll get to how Carolina and my mind plays into it. um, But, you know, quickly on the show, we ended up sort of falling into this position of doing a lot of his musical sketches. Um, The first one that we did for the show was uh, during it was during the presidential primaries. Um, and the song Old Town Road was kind of all anyone was playing. You like couldn't go into a store on 30 Rock without hearing it on loop. Um, so we pitched this bit where Jimmy would dress as Bernie Sanders and, you know, the full makeup and everything. Uh, and it was right before the first big Democratic town hall. So we had Jimmy as Bernie you know, hustling in there, sort of doing the weird little Bernie waddle and going, you know, I'm going to take my self to the old town hall. I'm going (laughs) to tell them we don't need no wall. I'm going to rant and rave about billionaires. Ain't going to take a break to comb my hair. And uh, it went on and on from there. (laughs) Um, But uh, it was a little bit of something we just kind of threw out there. You know, Jimmy had... he had sort of been wanting to engage in some way with the presidential primaries, but trying to figure out what would be the way that would be sort of just like fun and joyful to, uh, to bring it in. And uh, we pitched the sketch out and Jimmy was really, really game. And uh, it ended up just being so much fun. He did such an amazing job. I know we're the first people ever to say this, but Jimmy Fallon is an amazing impressionist. Um, And uh, (laughs) the makeup department, the hair department just did an incredible job. The music, it all just came together in this really fun way. Um, And it was one of our first big sketches that we got on the air. Uh, It was just received super well. Jimmy was really happy with it. And um, it was one of the first times where we're like, oh, you know, that thing that we both grew up loving, that sort of parody song or just sort of like integrating comedy into music and, you know, getting to put that together, that could be something that we're good at. And that could be something that, you know, could really be a niche for us here. Um, So that was just one of the first times where it really clicked into place that, you know, this would be a really fun thing to get to do. It's a fun way to engage with pop culture, engage with things people are talking about, uh, but just in a really fun way. Um, And to jump ahead, the reason that I picked this song in particular, Carolina in my mind, is because uh, we got hired on the show in 2019, uh, beginning of 2019. We were there for about a year and a half and then COVID hit. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers coronavirus, but uh, it was this like little niche virus people weren't really talking about. And uh, we were on the show during COVID. Um, we obviously, you know, moved home, moved to our respective places um, and we're trying to figure out 
what it looked like in this time where so many things felt so unfunny to put on a show. And um, we had been listening to just a lot of music and staring at the ceiling. And, you know, uh, we ended up pitching the song that was Jimmy sort of doing a, you know, not an impression exactly, but just sort of playing the guitar, singing Carolina in my mind, but obviously updating the lyrics for COVID. It was a little like, in my mind, I'm going to Carolina or any place that's outside, really anywhere that's outside, any old place I don't reside would pretty much be fine. Uh, going anywhere in my house, but my house in my mind. Um, and then, you know, we went off into sort of funny little riffs about like, in my mind, I'm going to Benihana just to see the <laughs> shrimp fly, fly, just to hear some rice fry. Um, but and, and I'm bringing this up not to say that this is some profound act of genius that we put together, but more just to say that I think we were in this time where, you know, I don't know, it felt very emotional to hear a song that I, I associated so much with my family and my childhood and things like that. And this real sense of pining and, you know, wanting normalcy and to hear it in this sort of more melancholy light, because as much as we were trying to be funny with like the little details or, you know, I just can't wait to go to Home Depot or whatever. Um, it was also just this feeling of like, I just want to be able to listen to the song again and not have it feel so poignant to wish to be somewhere else. Um so Jimmy did it. He obviously did an unbelievable job. He was so wonderful. And um, yeah, so that, I guess, is just a way of saying, I think we have found ourselves having fun with music sort of on both ends of the spectrum there. We've done a lot of bits um, that we're so, so lucky to do with, you know, Megan the Stallion and, you know, pitching her right after she was coming off of Hot Girl Summer and being like, let's do hot girl fall. And what would that look like if you're, you know, wearing a bedazzled bra that's shaped like pumpkins. And instead of throwing like dollar bills in the air, we're just using those little holes from like those little hole punchers that you get at a back to school store. And let's build out the set that kind of looks like a rap music video, but also is a staples and um, just all of this like really fun world building. But uh, that is just to say that we, you know, were able to do, a lot of that stuff on both sides of the spectrum and it was such a gift hmm it's I, hot girl fall is one of my um, most favorite sketches i think as of, of recent times especially with jilly fallon so, so thank you but working oh, with him he, it's, it's seriously so funny but as a producer writer director here too when you have talent though like someone like jimmy fallon he's also a talented musician uh, i mean i remember his um you know jim morrison of the doors and bob dylan and all those impersonations that he does mm -hmm. he does so many different amazing characters and how they lean in as a writer for, even for both of you you know I bet that's exciting, right? To be able to work with someone who's also multi-talented. I bet that ignites a lot of creativity in you. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it is, it's so, so cool. And um, I feel like one big thing that we learned about Jimmy specifically was just sort of, you know, he is so talented and everyone knows that, but he just thinks so deeply about this stuff too, you know, whether it is music, he just has an encyclopedic knowledge of music or impressions and, you know, thinking really, you know, thoughtfully about the way he puts together one, you know, we would often bring in a sketch where he was doing an impression of someone and we would try to hit all of the main points of, well, you know, the thing about Joe Biden is he tells really folksy stories or this or that. And without exception, Jimmy would come in and read it and have some moment where he's like, yeah, like this is all great. But have you also noticed that thing he does where, you know, he has this little naughty smile, he says, when he's gearing up to tell a joke or some like very minute uh, observation that's just so clear that he thinks about this stuff all the time and thinks about it in such depth. And, you know, I mean, it goes without saying that the roots are just the best house band in late night and just in the world i mean just one of the, the best, best band in the world <laughs> that's what i was gonna say one of the best bands in the world um so it's just i mean truly we were pinching ourselves each and every day and did not pretend that we did what they did but uh in the very niche world of comedy songs it was just we were pinching ourselves to even be able to work with them. <laughs> hmm. um you mentioned the commencement speech that kind of got you some prominence enough to get hired there um you know why did you each go to yale 
uh, Rebecca, mm-hmm. I read that you had a you you pursued pursued a degree in people pleasing, is what your mm-hmm. website said. <laughs> but like, but what what was what was each of yours track? You know, heading to Yale, like what were you on? Um, and honestly, it wasn't far off. I thought I wanted to get a PhD in psychology. I loved research psych specifically. I um, had always found it really interesting. I still do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I graduated with a degree in psych. I did a research project my senior year that uh, focused on the impact of political comedy on political polarization. Hmm. Um, but that's all just to say that I think for a long time, both Ben and I were like, yes, comedy is the thing that we like to do when we're not doing our real job or when we're not studying and, you know, be getting to give ourselves permission more and more over time to admit that it was the only thing we were thinking about was just such a a slow burn, but one that having a partner who also feels the same way really helps with. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ben? And I studied uh, political science, so I thought that maybe in a dream world I would be a speechwriter, maybe I would go to law school. But uh, like Rebecca said, feeling like what we were doing outside of the classroom, which was joining these sketch comedy groups and doing improv, that was almost the most stimulating challenge that we had in school. Not because our classes weren't (laughs) very, very hard and challenging, but because this was the challenge that I think we were drawn to that, you know, the the thing about comedy is, of course, you you could study, you could study it and be a student of it. But um, it's not like, uh, you know, 10 hours of studying will equal 10 more percentage points on an exam. It's so brain meets gut and you need to have an instinct you need to have an ear for it and you can train that instinct and ear but you can't guarantee it's always going to be right so we sort of fell in love with that challenge and like rebecca said sort of we're pushing each other um to i guess just making each other laugh and, and really liking the that art form almost in our relationship and then uh, beyond it how did you guys get the commencement speech duo gig <laughs> good question you know they yeah ha- oh, oh, sorry ahead, yeah no I, I was just going to say they uh, yeah, they actually have one every year, which is so funny. It's like a very funny tradition there. Um, and they ask you to write the speech ahead of time um, and submit it. We submitted, I think, two of them. Uh, and this was the one they picked, which we were deep down hoping they would. Um, but no, I mean, it's such a fun tradition. And I'm so grateful in retrospect that we had to write it before we got picked to do it just because by the time they were picking us to do it, it was right around the time that they announced that our, you know, adult guest speaker of the year would be Secretary Hillary Clinton. And Mm -hmm. um, we were so excited and cowed, but I don't know if we would have been able to write the same speech, especially the edgier parts of it, um, knowing who our audience would be. So it it was a gift that we got to get picked and then you know be be set and ready to go felt like we were locked in i uh, i pulled a little audio from it we're going to play it and like uh, you just said listeners bear in mind that um you know secretary of state hillary clinton was about six feet away from them <laughs> on stage <laughs> yale was wonderful and while we'll always cherish the memories we made here we must also make room in our hearts for the journeys ahead. And just to play devil's advocate <laughs> for a second, we don't, uh, we don't have to stop loving Yale. As we take the next steps... Everyone's like, oh, Yale, you're so wonderful. We love how you're always singing and dancing and how good you look in blue. And you look forward to new horizons. I mean, Yale might not be the most well-endowed, but it is up there. Look... <laughs> We need to open ourselves to new opportunities. Exactly what new opportunities? Do you really, do you really want to do this here? Do you? It sort of seems like you do. And in front of Hillary? <laughs> Listen. Listen. We need to flirt with Here we go. various professional fields. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. We need to embrace... Who are you embracing? The uncertainty of being a postgrad in today's world. True. Okay. And we need to let ourselves be seduced Who by... is it? Is it Anders the football star? Anders the football star, yes. Yes, it is. 
Anders the football star. Yes. I, I called it. Were you two a known funny couple element on campus uh, uh, prior to that, or were you just up there and making people laugh? You know, it's a small enough school that I think by senior year, people knew us as these sort of folks in the comedy scene. Um, we had done a written and directed a big uh, comedy film that fall of our senior year. Yale has this thing called the Yale Symphony Orchestra Halloween show every year, which is this really time honored tradition wherein students create this um this I was going to say short film, but it's a you know five zero fifty minute film, and the amazingly talented Yale Symphony Orchestra plays a live score to it, like you know movies back in the day. And we had written and directed that, and I think made a little bit of a name for ourselves. But the fun thing about that is it's all you know very insider baseball Yale, um, all the jokes and the comedy and the storytelling. So by the time we wanted to do this graduation speech, we thought let's do something that like you know our parents will get, or you know another. You know, a, a commencement speaker like Hillary Clinton would get or, you know, we had an eye towards like, you know, maybe one day this could be something that we even send around for our career. So we had sort of gotten all of our Yale jokes out of the way and we wanted to do something that could sort of speak to anybody who's ever graduated or transitions from uh, a school or a relationship or anything. Did you uh, get a chance to get direct feedback from Hillary? Were you able to interact <laughs> with her? We did. After the speech, we uh, found ourselves on stage with her and we got to shake her hand. And, uh, you know, what was really funny was she at the time, she's lovely, obviously, and very complimentary. And she was like, oh, I loved that joke you made about the potted plants. There was a like reference to, you know, Ben had taken this class called Plants and People and he couldn't tell which which was which. And <laughs> um, she had said that and we were so flattered and so, you know, touched and uh that was the one that she kept saying she really had liked and then now watching the speech back um the first thing we noticed was that the joke that really made her double over laughing was a penis joke it was the well endowed <laughs> joke yeah <laughs> um so that was funny we we're like oh you're a dirty little bird hillary <laughs> but um, also co consequentially when she asked us uh she asked us so what are you guys doing what do you have planned and we looked around and all our friends who had jobs lined up since the fall and finance or where they're going to grad school and Rebecca and I looked at each other and for the first time verbalized to Hillary Clinton uh, but also to anyone we said you know I think we want to be comedy writers so it was sort of an important moment to speak that uh, out loud and, and then really try to get after it when we graduated hmm. yeah it's like now we told Hillary Clinton so we can't back down hmm. and, <laughs> and it was like a year or so before you then were hired by the Tonight Show right about six months. Six which is, months. Wow. Yeah. A quick turnaround. Really crazy. F you know, feels like a long time when you're uh, it's just a tough time. We talk about it a lot. Moving back home after college, you know, you had all the autonomy and uh, you had all the autonomy in the world and the best community. And then you're moving back home. We were just sort of trying to sell what we can, what we could. And, you know, we sold a sketch here and, a, you know, a, a small uh, show to a now defunct streaming platform there. And then to finally have that big break, get to do it in our backyard, you know, and be in New York and be at N30 Rock. It was a real blessing. And we were prepared to work our butts off at that job. We were not about to let this opportunities uh, slip through our fingers. Tell us about your new book, which is how we, you know, you came across our radar because mm -hmm. you, uh, you guys were trying to get attention about this new book, Naked in the Rideshare, which desperately, uh, which, um, you know, <laughs> which is it sounds I haven't had a chance to read it. Normally, I host another show, which is like Newsy, and I will always read the guest's book beforehand, but I didn't have a chance for y'all. So go ahead and uh, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so, right. We when we were on Fallon, um, we had been talking a lot about sort of what else we wanted to be doing creatively. And um, both Ben and I had really one of the ways that we had cut our teeth in comedy was reading humor collections, you know, Simon Rich and Mindy Kaling, BJ Novak, David Sedaris, Issa George Rae, Saunders, yeah. George Saunders, exactly. And 
um, we, you know, we're talking about it more and more. We found that we just had all of these characters and these stories that felt felt like they were bubbling to come out. Um, so we had this moment where we were like, why don't we try to write a book? Why don't we write um, these short comedic stories? And um, we ended up pitching it to HarperCollins and they signed on miraculously. And uh, it ended up taking over time the form of this essay collection that's roughly structured into kind of like tracing the arc of coming of age. Uh, our chapters are, you know, there's first a section on childhood, then adolescence, uh, college, post-grad life, relationships. Um, and in each in each section, um, there's something like, you know, five or six quite short stories about um, sort of like sideways ways into what it feels like to grow up right now. It's sort of our love letter slash roast to our generation, to Gen Z and, you know, all of the weird specific things and the ways that people get them so wrong. Yeah, it's funny. You don't see a lot of um, books or, or comedy about young people, especially written by young people. And I think hopefully what we're able to accomplish is exactly what you said, Rebecca, a book that if you're, you know, a teenager right now if you're in high school if you're in college if you just graduated you can read it and feel really called out and sort of seen um and poked fun at but it's also for like the parents of those kids and the grandparents of those kids who want to know what's making their kid tick right now and what makes them anxious the emotional realities of being a young person right now um and you know hopefully what's making their kids laugh too hmm. is writing a book you know for or i guess you know for harper collins you presumably have an editor. Is that a different process than being, you know, or do you have an editor when you're a comedy writer? I guess is what the, you know, the question. Yeah, no, we definitely uh, do in both capacities. We know whether it's your producers on the Tonight Show or your sketch supervisors who are helping you shape your uh, your sketches or giving you notes or or doing punch ups for you, or on the Harper Collins side, yeah, you're definitely working with an editor to get notes. I think our editor, who's this brilliant, brilliant guy named Morrow um, at the imprint William Morrow, which is um, definitely confusing, uh, but Morrow <laughs> did a, a great job, I think, um, helping us shape the book and in fact it was his idea rebecca if you want to sort of speak to that organizational principle where he looked through the book and saw a real theme right yeah i mean he he was the one who said let's it feels like you inadvertently have created this like homage to growing up so why don't we frame the book that way um and his other really brilliant suggestion was uh he was like you know i love these fiction pieces i think they're so great but I'm left with a little bit of a sense of who are these people who are writing these. So why don't you put in some, just a few nonfiction pieces as well. Um, and obviously our mind went to like, who the hell wants to hear like who we are? Like we don't have anything interesting to say. We are not celebrities. Um, but what we ended up doing, which I'm so, so glad we did was kind of just try to find sideways ways into talking about ourselves so for example you know we're not going to write about like what we've learned on the tonight show but what we can do is you know we're talking about you know instead of talking about for example working with celebrities on the show ben and i wrote this piece that's just the contract we drew up in the event that after working with ryan reynolds he wanted to have a threesome with us <laughs> um so it was super fun. And of course, there's like a yes disclosure policy and, you know, all of the things that we can and can't say to each other afterwards about how that was obviously the most magical sex we've ever had. And um, it's, fictionally it's to say speaking, fictionally speaking, <laughs> in real life, it was only OK. No, yeah. um, but, <laughs> but that's totally right. Or like instead of, you know, talking about our relationship um, in like a, a very sort of like biographical um, prose uh, way we have a chapter about uh, what would happen if a disagreement between Rebecca and myself escalated so drastically that we in good faith attempted to kill each other so you get to see what our Mr. and Mrs. Smith story would be like which has a lot more indigestion than the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie version but you're totally right Rebecca we wanted to give people <laughs> this insight into what we're like what it's like working with your uh, you know writing partner or, or I should say with your romantic partner but still have this sort of hiding absurd and outrageous way into telling these stories. You mentioned Ryan Reynolds. You both have been, if I have it right, working with him and Will Ferrell on a show or some shows, right? Can you flesh that out? 
Yeah, we can't say too much about it yet, but in a really cool way, we've been able to start thinking about uh, adapting some of these chapters and bringing them hopefully to to screen with some amazing partners who you mentioned. And so it's sort of under lock and key for now. Um, but certainly when we have um, updates and we can announce which chapters those are, we'll run right back on to to talk to you about it, Mike, if that's cool with you, if you'll have us. Yeah, yeah. Just send me an email when you can break the mm-hmm. news and we'll do an addendum. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Um, okay. Okay, are you guys ready to do your your two for song, your together song, the uh, the Simon and Garfunkel? Oh, let's, let's do it. Let's do Our it. Favorite, favorite. All right, and we're gonna listen to it, right? Yes, let's okay. do it. I like your style. This is their final song. Uh, this is Rebecca Shaw and Ben Cronengold together today. This is America by Simon and Garfunkel from their album Bookends, released in 1968. Oh my gosh, such a beautiful song. I think it transitions nicely out of what we were talking about before, which is working with your partner, your life partner. Um, That is our relationship song. And I have a very distinct memory of taking a a really poorly timed nap in the middle of my common room our sophomore year, the two of us, and waking up to uh, the New Haven air and the smell of kettle corn out our window. And uh, that song was playing. Since then, it sort of has meant a lot to us to skip ahead. That was playing when I proposed to Rebecca just two weeks ago. Um, But there's something about it that also sort of ties in really nicely to our creative partnership and our love of comedy. Maybe, Rebecca, if you want to take that part. Absolutely. Um, One of our sort of favorite parts of the song is the uh, laughing on the bus, playing games with the faces. He said the man in the gabardine, she said the man in the gabardine suit was a spy. I said, be careful. His bow tie is really a camera. Um, and you know, just that, that vignette of a couple sitting there, you know, pointing out the people around them and really making up little stories about them, making up, you know, fictions of, you know, the silly thing that they're doing is just exactly how Ben and my relationship started. Um, not just the pigeon lady, although I'm suddenly realizing for the first time that that's kind of exactly what it was, uh, but just really trying to make each other laugh and building these little worlds out together um, was so much a part of the way that we fell in love and, you know, the thing we have structured our relationship around. Um, so that always, it felt like it was a little a little story about us in this very emotional way. And, um, you know, it's funny, I think, to... Ben's point about we'd kill each other and that piece. I I think a lot of people, when they ask us about working with someone and also dating them, um, they really are implying that those are two very separate things. You know, I have this person who I date and then also I happen to have this person I work with and those two people happen to be the same person. Um, But I think that the way it has played out in our relationship, it's so intertwined. The way that we fell for each other was so much through comedy. And, you know, when we were asked to do comedy, the obvious thing is to turn to the person you trust most and want to do it with them. So I think in that way, you know, it, it makes sense that even a song that Ben would propose to would in some way evoke you know, making each other laugh and evoke sort of these these stories that we tell each other every day. Safe to assume it'll play at your wedding if you have one that's like a wedding <laughs> that has music. That's absolutely right. I think right. you're right about that. Yeah. I, it immediately reminds me of uh, the movie Almost Famous. Oh, mm. wow. My favorite, favorite movie. Um, it totally reminds me of Almost Famous. I see those connections entirely. The idea of <clears throat> chasing an American dream, chasing something that feels almost... Um, in our case, like only something you see on TV, I was going to say, or see in the movies. And of course, Rebecca and I have, you know, a lot of privilege and support to get to, and, and almost, it almost feels silly to call it an American dream. But um, for, for on a personal level, it really is to find your partner, to find your passion, to make it professional and certainly tricky uh, along the way. But I, but I hear all of that in the song as well. All right. You guys ready for a speed round? Let's do it. Okay, so Ben, you're first, then Rebecca. Ben, do you have a nickname that has stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? Oh, my gosh. Um, This is a bit odd, but my nickname is Benjamin because my full name is just Ben. So anyone who calls me Benjamin, it's always ironic and sort of a pet name because uh, my full name is just Ben. Okay, Rebecca? 
Beckles. My parents call me <laughs> Beckles, and and it has unfortunately caught on amongst our friends. Uh, Rebecca, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter to? Oh, this is such a perfect Ben question, but uh, <laughs> I oh maybe just like a remixed hip hop version of America. Is that anything? <laughs> <laughs> what about um, you, Ben? It's giving Hulk Hogan somewhere. Um, yeah, mine it would be a Lincoln Park song. Absolutely, it would be probably. Um, Maybe Numb by Linkin Park or something along those lines. I'm a big wrestling fan, and I have thought about this. <laughs> what would your finishing move be? What would my finishing move be? Obviously a triple senton. No, I'm just kidding. I have no <laughs> idea what my finishing move would be. Hey, Ben, I want. I just got to ask. Um, this is yeah. Jared, by the way. Hi, this is Jared. Hey. <laughs> I want to know, have you ever like watched Ben 10? Are you into that at all? Ben 10, yeah. I yeah. have watched Ben 10. You know, maybe you can integrate the whole wrestling thing. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I think that... First of all, Jared, do you are you a wrestling fan yourself, or, or are you more of a of an animation guy, superhero guy? Oh, animation superhero! I have uh, a Ben Ten uh, Alien Force jacket, even and both Omnitrixes from Alien Force and the original, which so, he wears to work. Wow. I do. That's like wow! I believe it. That's not a bit. The wrestling fan in I, the group is me, Tara. That's true. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. I mean, I always thought the Ben Ten had very actually cool style, and that I would always look good as streetwear. So yeah. I'm not surprised that you wear it to work <laughs> seamlessly. Um, I absolutely think that the overlap that is wrestling and superheroes and animation and also comedy there are these three sort of nerdy fandoms maybe it's just a a sort of white guy from the suburbs thing but they all mean a lot to me and one day i don't know i'll do some dissertation about the overlap between three but i think it has something to do with showmanship and um the themes are similar in terms of stories of good versus evil and being sort of exceptional uh exceptional underdogs so i'm into all of it big big nerd over here ben i have to ask you aew Mm. fan Yes, absolutely. Okay. Dan Housen for my birthday sent me to Dynamite. Uh, last yes. Year, okay. I yes. yeah. I, I hear they actually came here, Hertz Arena in Southwest Florida, and oh I was God. on the floor. You know it, Tony Khan, and it was when the Hardy Brothers reunited was the one I got to see. So that was fantastic. Those are for my guys. Me. That uh, is yeah. actually making me geek out. Those are my guys. Same, same. So uh, Dan Housen, what do you think of him? I have to ask. That's so interesting you say that. I didn't know him until he until I saw him on AEW. I understand he's probably an indie guy like the rest of them, but um. I don't know if I get his comedy, but I also, to be totally honest with you guys, my hot take is I don't really, never really loved wrestling for the comedy. Right. The older I get, the more I see it is like an important through line to like flesh out these shows. And I know it's for some fans, but as a comedy fan, to my earlier point, I kind of like my comedy to be funny and my wrestling to be wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if I'm the biggest Dan Housen guy, but I did, I do like a Taz's kid a lot. And I, Oh my God. Hook is the man. Hook is insane. I have to say though, I'm, I'm a Kenny Omega girl all day, every day. Oh my God. Who is All day, every day. He is something else oh sorry I we'll, wish we I, can I have it we'll talk we'll have to do a wrestling sorry, podcast we'll show line. sorry about that everyone actually we'll no what? i'm not sorry <laughs> <laughs> i don't know anything about anything <laughs> <laughs> I have to say really quickly that uh, obviously there was a very long writer strike this year, and I said to Ben towards the end of it, you know, I feel like if we'd done this differently, we should you should have just applied for a job uh, at one of these places. I feel like you would have just loved doing it for for a bit, or you would have made the thing that you loved into the thing you have to do for work. But that's true. Uh, one huh. day, <laughs> work 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 it into a, a sketch or a, a yeah, short story right. or or a, an animated or non animated film someday. <laughs> um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you guys ever consider going back to school just so you can get another degree and then do another speech? <laughs> I think if you ask our mothers, we are on our way to law school next year. So <laughs> it depends who we're talking to. I would say. Yeah, no. I mean, that's not true anymore. But there was there was a while this the sort of six months that I was tell, uh, telling you guys about. One of the hard things was uh, certainly pressure among family and friends to be like, hey, so what are you doing? Is this are you going to crash and burn or are you going to take the LSAT? So our parents are actually super thrilled for us and couldn't be Absolutely. more supportive. But yeah, we do have a chapter in my in our book called Actual Things Ben's Mother Tells Her Friends He Does for a Living, <laughs> which uh, for a long time was just a, a list of degrees and, and various <laughs> combinations of the alphabet. Um, ben, uh, we're back to the speed round here now. Um, yeah. If you could, oh, yeah, sorry. If, oh, no, that's OK. If you could broadcast a song magically into the head of all humans in one collective moment, which song would it be? Mm, oh, my gosh. That is such a good question. 
I'm going to go back to our sort of love of soundtracking. One of my favorite, favorite songs to walk around to is called My Body by Young the Giant. And if anyone sort of has a is walking to an interview or walking to a first date, uh, that is the song that I listen to that sort of gets, gets me pumped. So I would want everyone to have that uh, Young the Giant motivation, that deep cut Young the Giant song playing in their head. Rebecca? Ooh, um, something by the Roaches. I, I wish more people knew them and I wish more people were talking about them all the time. So um, maybe <clears throat> Jesus Shaves. It's one of my favorite songs of theirs. And I just think it's so lovely and uplifting in this very sweet way. So if you haven't checked it out, turn this off and check it out once I, we're done. I agree. Yeah, Tara's doing oh. like the do, Tara's doing like the metal thing with her hand. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Rebecca, when was the last time you purchased music? And I'm trying to guess here with your your age. I'm not sure, but it had physical form music you could like hold in your hand that you could then use a device to play. Uh, so, like, what was the last CD I bought? Is the question? Yeah, if you've ever um, bought CDs, there's a lot of people that are like, I don't, I never bought a CD. You know, younger people anyway. I don't want to like impugn younger people, but you know, <laughs> you know what it is. I think to to go back to the point about um, Broadway, I think it was Idina Menzel's first solo album after <laughs> she was trying to pivot into being a pop star. I believe it was called "Better to Have Loved," or maybe that was the name of her single. And I went to a Virgin store to watch her perform, and then bought my CD afterwards. Huh. It was the best day of my life. Ben. Oh my gosh. We recently bought, I thought this is what you're going to say, Rebecca, um, the Bird Song Project, which is this oh, incredible yes, box set, um, which is just beautiful. That was nominated for a Grammy last week because it's so beautifully done, the box set and the artwork. And it is by our really dear friend, Randall Poster, who is the preeminent music supervisor and our dear, dear friend, Samantha Uzbe, who, spoiler alert, needs to, you guys have to talk to her and shoot be the perfect guest she is uh our age a young awesome music supervisor and they assembled this amazing collection of something like 30 vinyls and all proceeds go to um bird culture all the songs are originally written by some of the most amazing artists in the world and they're about birds so we can't recommend this uh this collection enough you guys it's oh yeah it's this amazing eclectic group it's yo-yo ma the flaming lips florence machine it's just incredible performers alice coltrane and uh it's it's so so cool and you're talking about like birds like birds that fly this isn't i know we're talking about birds it took us a bit too but it is about (laughs) birds it's like this, this music that is like some more literally and some more abstractly inspired by bird song um you guys got to check it out. It's kind of you have to listen to believe it. Cool. Um, uh, ben, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are and what you're doing today? Oh, I think he'd be really pumped. I think he'd be really excited. And I think he would say, that's a job? Like, that's a real <laughs> job? Uh, because I think as much of a comedy nerd as I was back then, I didn't know that people were you know, employed to, to be writers on these shows necessarily. So I think he'd be uh, excited and confused. <laughs> what about you, Rebecca? Uh, exactly the same. I think I would be over the moon that I get to play make-believe for a living. Huh. Okay, well, it is time for you guys to uh, recommend three people that you will share this with if you, you know, if you don't mind, that you think we might be able to get on. They can be remote like yourself and uh, go. Okay, our first one, we just mentioned her. Her name is Samantha Uzbay, U-Z-B-A-Y. She is the coolest, hottest thing in music supervision right now in new york and when i say we soundtrack our movies and tv shows by creating these amazing playlists that we brainstorm to and write to and that are formative for our uh for our writing um and our storytelling she is the one that actually does it these days which is a very very lucky thing we've graduated out of uh walk the moon and into the very capable hands of this amazing um musical genius named sam Uzbe, who you guys have to have on because knowing her encyclopedic music upbringing she'll have three awesome songs to talk about when you say rebecca Oh, absolutely. I mean, in addition to working on the professional side of it, she's also an incredibly talented singer and pianist and viola player. um, Mm -hmm. First year in the Boston University Orchestra for viola, studied classical music all her life. Yeah, she's a rock star. You guys will love her. That sounds fantastic. Number two. Rebecca, do you want to give one more? Uh, yes, recommendation number two, uh, Valerie Badurtha. She's this incredible stand-up in New York um, who also works in the podcasting space, um, but is just 
unbelievably funny and similarly shares this just like really eclectic, cool sense of music. And it's just such a fun hang. So mm-hmm. could not recommend Val more highly. Okay. And our last one is from a very different world. Uh, our friend Nick Walters, who is a sommelier at a restaurant called 11 Madison Park, which is certainly uh, it's a three Michelin star restaurant and certainly ranked the best restaurant in New York and often the world. And I would be so interested to hear someone who comes from the wine world and the world of food and hospitality and what music means to them and how they use it in their in their everyday lives. Because I think he might surprise us in really cool ways. I love it. So, yeah, once this comes out, uh, share it with them. And then if you can somehow connect us with them, we'll do everything we can to get them on the show. Um, Absolutely, we'll do. Uh, that's pretty much the end of the train. You guys have any final thoughts, uh, Rebecca or who, whoever wants to go first? Just that this has been so fun. I mean, thank you so much for having us on. I think that, you know, even in just talking now about the people we'd recommend, one thing that we have found is that so many creative people in various industries just connect to music on this very deep visceral level, as do so many people. But um, it's so fun to sort of look back and track some of those big moments through the songs that felt so you know, deeply ingrained in us in those moments. So thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah I couldn't say the same uh, more. Uh, let me try that again. Yes, agreed. <laughs> you said it Yoda yeah, style. Awesome. <laughs> I, almost, I almost got through the whole thing. Um, no, it's been such an awesome conversation. Your guys' questions are so thoughtful. I'm so glad there's so, so much overlapping fandom. And we're just uh, excited to keep listening and to send some very creative people your way. Thank you so much, you guys. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Chris Duffus is executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, we're jumping back one year to episode number 248 guest Tatum Bates. Her first song was about a pivotal moment early in her life in theater. She told the story of meeting a director when she was about 13 years old, and he told her that she would never be a lead and would always be the comedic sidekick. And I didn't really realize the impact that like what an adult had said to me had an impact on me. Like I didn't realize that until a year after I was told that. I was in the show, Evil Dead the Musical. I immediately was cast as the leading romantic interest. Oh, Ash, like the entire thing. And he never ended up seeing the show, but it didn't matter to me. Like I was like, I did that. I proved him wrong and I didn't need his validation or his confirmation. Like, And this song that I chose was the very first song that me and the lead character sing and it's a love ballad which I kind of a comedic love ballad but I was like I never would have thought that I would be singing that keep listening